Come with me as we dive into some of the most intimate diaries a person could share. My mission is to inspire you to push through during the toughest of times, too. Thank you for being here. This is Push Diaries Podcast, and I'm your host, Tess. Episode 33, IVF Life with Anne. Okay. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Push Diaries Podcast. Per usual, I am always so excited when I make another episode, and today I have a very close friend of mine on the podcast. I would say best friend, but I guess I can't because I have a lot of those. (laughs) So, um... I'm just really excited to have Anne on the podcast today. She's a good friend of mine, and I'm going to let her introduce herself and say, hi, Anne, how are you? Hi, Tess. It's good to be here and be a part of this. Yes, I'm so happy you decided to come on. Now, where are you living right now? Don't give too specifically in case there's a creep that wants to come find you. So I live in Austin, Minnesota, and we met in ninth grade. And you were the first person to approach me. <laughs> right? And because me to the new school. Yeah, because you had moved from, your parents had moved around quite a bit. Talk a little bit about that and and share about your parents. Share about little Anne as a baby and and where you came from. So moving to Cannon Falls from New York. We lived in Glens Falls, New York for a few years, I believe, at that point. Started my journey in life with my family um, in Woodbury. Stayed there probably around 10 or 11. And I know my mom's going to be like, oh, you should have known these dates. (laughs) (laughs) But um, from Woodbury to Stillwater, Stillwater to International Falls, all in Minnesota. And um, and then International Falls to New York, New York to Northfield, but went to school in Cannon while we built our house in Cannon Falls. That's awesome. Okay, and you're leaving out, like, an enormous part of your story. Do you want to share maybe, like, who birthed you and who raised you? Well, who birthed me is unknown. (laughs) (laughs) Someone. Some dashingly dashingly beautiful woman gave birth to you somewhere. (laughs) You're sweet. Thank you. Uh, no, but then a wonderful couple couple um, that I consider myself very grateful and lucky to adopted me. Um, and yeah, it's been yeah. amazing ever since. Yeah, your parents are incredible. They adopted three kids and, and you're the youngest. Of the adopted ones. Of yes. the adopted ones, yes. Two older then- adopted brothers and myself and then my younger brother. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so how did that experience go for you? Just if you don't mind sharing, like growing up, what was it like to be adopted? Did you feel adopted or did you feel really um, just immersed in, in your new family and it felt really normal? So I honestly had always known as long as I can remember that I was adopted. My mom is adopted, so she really had that experience to go forth with the adopted children. She couldn't have approached the situation better. There was never a time that I felt less than. Been very grateful to have the mom and dad I do. They 
have been everything and they're some of my best friends. So it's pretty amazing. Yeah, it is pretty amazing. You know, in Ashlyn's episode way back long ago, she was number six on my podcast and she talked about how adoption is originally from like brokenness, right? Like in a perfect world, a man and a woman who love each other very much would have a child and life would be perfect, but life isn't perfect. And we are all human. And I think it's pretty amazing when we talk about resiliency that you and your family were able to live together and like have such a great experience with adoption because you hear a lot of stories that don't go well. Yeah, unfortunately. And sometimes that has nothing to do with the dynamic of the family or how they're raised. It just sometimes doesn't work out, but that's just like a family that's not adopted also. That's very true. That's very true. Okay. So we could talk about adoption all day. This is going to be the first part of probably several parts and will be back on the podcast in the future to share her experience with her journey of having a family herself because she is now a gal who is 30. And how old are you turning in May? Uh, 32. Yeah. Because yeah. you're 32, right? No, well, you'll be 32 in yeah. well, less than a month. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I'll be I know. I legit, we were talking about our ages, me and a friend, a couple days ago, and I literally had to sit and do the math. I was like, am I 31 or am I 32? Like, I couldn't remember. And so, yeah, so we're in our 30s now. Anne was happily married in 2016 or 17? Or was it 18? No, it was 17. It's going to be six years. Oh, no. Yeah. Six. What? I, that can't even 2015, be 2015, then. Oh, my husband's going to love me for this. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> it's okay. You've been married for years, though. And you guys, you always knew. You and Jeff always wanted to have kids, right? Like, tell me a little bit about, and tell the listeners about, because I know. But tell the listeners about, like, when you started dating Jeff. I mean, I know that was that was way back in high school. You guys have been have been together for years so talk about like uh, 11th grade, 11th grade yeah. we started dating and as cheesy as it is yes we are high school sweethearts oh. we have been very fortunate to grow together versus apart you know learning more and more about each other every single day it's a life journey for sure and it's been pretty amazing that we've been on the same path we always known we wanted to have a family but we always knew we were not ready we wanted to experience life, get to know each other more, and have that relationship between us before we brought another human into the picture. So it's been something we've been very thankful for. And our, has it been like three or four years, I believe, we've been actively trying to start a family. And, you know, the first couple of years, you're just like, oh, it's just not happening right now. That's okay. No big deal. And then it kind of comes to like, well, you know, we've been trying actively and trying to regulate everything and be really smart about how we approach this and it's not happening yet. So then it's kind of when you start talking to doctors and seeing where, um, if there's any issues and all that stuff. Yeah. So, yeah. And I suppose too, you've known you wanted to be a mom, even just, I remember you telling me and those two, three years ago, 
Like, yeah, I was adopted and my craving for motherhood and having something be my DNA was something that was really important to you, right? Yeah, it was. It actually was a huge thing. You know, being adopted and as perfect and amazing as my family is, you know, me and my mom always joke, we are the perfect 10. We are completely opposite. You know, I'm six foot tall and she's almost, (laughs) she's like five foot tall. (laughs) We just, you know, as far as when you look at each other, um, we don't have obviously similarities, which is, I think it's fantastic. But, you know, when you hear other families who aren't adopted and you hear them say, oh, you look just like your mom or, or he has your dad's eyes or, you know, you hear little things like that. And I'm sure a lot of people who are adopted can relate to this as kind of just a, not an upsetting thing to hear by any means, but it's just something you kind of listen to maybe unwillingly and <laughs> not yeah. really noticing this. But I always thought, you know, how amazing would it be to have someone say, oh, she has your eyes or, you know, oh my gosh, she's just like you. And that was really something that kind of, that motivated me to want to have the family. Yeah. Yeah. And be able to see like, yeah, the mannerisms of you or the mannerisms of your husband or like you're saying facial features. And there is, there's something special about that. It's almost like another sense of belonging, I guess. So you being adopted, you realized you wanted to be a mom. You guys started trying. Nothing was really happening. So what came next? Did Jeff get his sperm counted? Did you get your eggs counted? What was the next step after regular sex without any um, birth control wasn't working? We really just started um, seeing, okay, so the next step would be, okay, let's both see our doctors and kind of go from there. Um, It's way easier to see if there's any issues on the male side. Um, it's easier to count their sperm. It's easier. Anything, of course, to do with the male is going to be 10 times easier. Isn't it always? (laughs) (laughs) Lucky them. (laughs) Right. But, you know, the doctors, I saw two doctors and they actually, um, were not serious about it because I was young when I was 26, 27 years old when I started seeing the doctors and they just, didn't take it serious. They said, you're young, you're healthy. There's nothing wrong with you. Um, just keep doing what you're doing. If it's going to come, it's going to come for you. And see, and you know, as wonderful as that sounds like a doctor's telling you, you're healthy, you're young, nothing's wrong with you. You know, you know, something's at this point, it's, sh- it shouldn't be this hard. Yeah. And right. So, I think it's amazing how many doctors say that to young people. And I mean, yeah. I know this is completely unrelated, but like, even with my spinal tumor, they put exactly what you're going to say. Absolutely. Yeah. They sent me away. They're just like, you're 24. You have a full-time job. You're successful. You look healthy. You're beautiful. Thank you very much. So are you, (laughs) Anne. But it's like, when we talk about preventative care in this country, it is a little messed up that like, sometimes we get pushed away or there are people Like our friend from high school that we don't want to say a name of, but she has dealt with health problems her whole life and um, the doctors don't know what's going on with her. And, and so I think it's so important that we don't judge a book by its cover, right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, 
it was a little defeating at first. Um, I just wanted some answers and when you're not getting them, you know, you get that second opinion and you waste so much time, um, taking tests and doing research and to really not have any information and to pretty much still be told you're okay. There's nothing wrong with you. So after I saw my last OBGYN who is now retired, um, she had said, okay, well, let's, um, push you to Mayo Clinic specialty. And so I, I thank God that I was brought to Mayo Clinic because they were able to define, um, what it was that I was having issues with. And it's an infertility issue. It was an infertility issue. So what did your OBGYN that wasn't at Mayo Clinic, what was like the groundbreaking thing she discovered where she said, okay, we can't do this here. You have to go to Mayo. Like, why couldn't she help you there? Just narrowing things down on her end that she was able to control. Not having the answers on her end. It, It was the next decision to say, okay, well, it's out of my hands. Let's go to a specialty, see what they can see or hear okay. or out with you. All right. So you get to Mayo Clinic and what do they say? And it, it, up to this point, had Jeff been checked out at all or no? Yes. Yep. Jeff had been checked out um, by a couple doctors also and passed with flying colors. <laughs> so he masturbated into a cup and they counted yep. his little birds and he had yeah, plenty of birds flying in his skies, huh? He's becoming an expert at that cup. (laughs) (laughs) If anybody needs uh, assistance with that, uh, hit up Ann's husband. Okay, moving right along. So you get to Mayo Clinic, and what do you find out? So actually, we weren't taking any of it too seriously. Um, We weren't going to put things into our head and freak ourselves out. We were just going to see what happens, happens. And unexpectedly... Um, I was diagnosed with a fertility issue and I was told the first time as they pulled me into a room and my mom, thank God my mom was with me because I was about to go by myself. Again, we didn't think it was going to be an issue at all. Mm -hmm. Um, we, we were truly caught off guard. My husband's like, do you want me to come with? And I said, no, it's no big deal. And my mom's like, well, I'm coming with as my mom would, of course, thank God. Well, we were actually blindsided and I was told from the doctor and it's it's something that as a woman you really never want to hear especially a woman who wants to start a family um that I was in infertile and I could never have a child and I after you know the moment passed of being devastated you know you start thinking of the questions well okay can I have can I do my own eggs with IVF and um, what are my other options? And he said, no, you can't, you have no eggs. We can't do anything for you. And walking away and being just devastated. Yeah. So my mom was there. Yes. Thank goodness. So did they do an ultrasound or like what factual evidence did he have or she have to say that you 100% weren't fertile? Um, well, yes. So, uh, ultrasound, ultrasound. Uh, ultrasound, blood tests. Um, I was also at the same time diagnosed with a thyroid issue. Um, 
So all, all those things really added up and they were matter of fact kind of build up. So yeah, they told me at that first meeting that I was infertile and I couldn't carry a baby and I couldn't do IVF. Um, all of it was out of the picture for me. And so at that point, your options were literally adoption, right? And that was it. That for was a it. moment, you thought, okay, I'm never going to be a mom. Uh, if I take the advice from this doctor, I'm never going to be a mom to a kid who is genetically my own. And and yeah. I remember, Anne, two years ago, I think it was in the summer, you finding out that you'd likely not get pregnant naturally. You were feeling worthless and just kind of um, defeated and really let down and not sure about your future. And then I remember hearing you say like, but it's opening my eyes up to all the women that are dealing with, with these issues and don't talk about it and how lonely they must feel. Yeah. Do you remember that? Do you remember having those conversations? Oh, absolutely. You know, when something, when you're diagnosed with anything, you feel utterly alone. You really do. And the fact of the matter is that's just not true. If you have the resources to reach out, join groups, support groups, you find people who are in similar situations. Yeah. And yeah, it was broken. You know, one thing to be a woman, to be told that you are broken, you can't do the one thing that your body was made for was one thing, but then add the adoption factor to it. It was another level too. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, it's like extra painful. It's like another reminder, almost like that, you know, the evil demon in your head that's like, oh, you can't have a kid and oh, you weren't wanted. And, you know, all those ugly insecurities, right, were kind of bubbling up. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Did you feel like a bad wife? What did Jeff say to you in those days? Do you remember? You know, all I know is. Jeff was a hundred percent by my side and I, I'm just so lucky for that. I, I felt like I couldn't give him the one thing that I felt that I should be able to give him. And, you know, that might sound off to some people and that's totally fine. But, you know, in my perspective, you know, you, you date, you get engaged, you get married. And if you choose to have a family, you then start having a family. And yeah. for almost anyone that I knew at that time, it wasn't an issue. It wasn't even a thought process that anything challenging would come across. Yeah. Or yeah. what happened. Okay. So now before we move on to like getting a second opinion in, in your IVF process, what feelings, if you can just think back to when your first friends and family members started to have babies after you got this news, what was it like? What feelings did you have? Be honest. So in all honesty, anyone I was truly close with, it was a different scenario than people that were just people I knew or didn't know at all. Um, truthfully, when people who are family and really close friends, I was happy. You know, you always have, I mean, I was ecstatic for them. It's, it's a huge thing, but then, you know, once the process hits of, you know, the excitement, of course, you feel like, why can't I do that? Um, That's not fair that it's just so simple for other people. Never targeting one person. It's funny when you say, like, if one person announces their pregnancy, it's not that one person you're thinking about. 
it's all the other women that have no issues. Yeah. And and you just say like, well, why why can't I do this? What what is wrong with me? This this just isn't fair. Um, I'm sure that could go for really anything, truly. Yeah. But yeah, well, I hear you with that. I, you know, Tyler and I aren't planning on having kids, and I feel really sad sometimes myself. Like I'm ecstatic for them too, just exactly like you said. And then the wave of excitement kind of goes away, and then you're by yourself, and you're like, man. But it's also a loss because I, it's a reminder of all the things I can't be. Yeah. Yeah. And that's not to say that people should feel scared to tell me right. that wouldn't be what I'd want. That it has, it really, tr- like I said, it's truly never just depending on that one person. It's just the feelings that you go through knowing you can't experience that. And it's, you know, for people who I'm not really, close with and or I don't know it's a different reaction for sure it's jealousy it's anger it's upset obviously but yeah I mean <laughs> sometimes it just it isn't fair yeah right we know that about life don't we yeah don't we ever so moving right along when you went and got your second opinion at, at Mayo Clinic, right? You you went to another doctor. Why did you go to another doctor? How did you find them? Did they refer you? Did someone else tell you to go see them? Kind of walk us through that, that next doctor and what you found out. So coming from the OBGYN and telling me that, you know, I think you should go to a specialty doctor, we sought them out. Well, we're lucky enough to be close enough to Mayo Clinic in Rochester. So that was the first obvious choice. And yeah, (laughs) very much so. So we contacted them and we just said, you know, we're having issues, fertility issues. And they definitely challenged you because, again, you're young, you're healthy. Nothing seems out of whack. Why are you contacting us? And so they did, you know, the step-by-step process and to find out that I was infertile. Um, and we, after that first devastating conversation, um, finally getting your stuff back in order and kind of like coming down from the low or coming up from the low, I don't know how you say it, but we then said, okay, what are our options? And so they continued to do more tests. And I said, well, I really want to experience being pregnant. And I just couldn't take the first doctor, which is a side note, I should say, um, in specialty department in Mayo Clinic, there is a bunch of doctors you work with. Um, They work as a team so that you have multiple opinions and um, multiple options, I should say, also. So, I mean, there's good and bad to that, too. But, you know, I, I came back and I said, I really want to experience being pregnant. Is there any way I can do this? And they said, well, not with your own eggs. IVF, um, the traditional sense of IVF is actually using backup of eggs that you have. Well, me not having any eggs to begin with, or very little, I had no backup. So I could not use my own eggs for IVF. Um, okay. And So how many eggs are most women born with, and how many were you told that you had? I can't remember the number for when you're born with. It's It's just an enormous number. But I know every cycle, an average woman cycles six to seven eggs. And I cycle one to two. Okay. So, 
so I have, I mean, a few doctor visits later, I did meet this amazing doctor in the same department and he goes, well, they should have never told you you were infertile. All it takes is one egg and one sperm and you have one egg. Right. Are very, very little. And they said, do you have a time frame?" And I said, as much as I would love to say, no, I, I want to have a family now. And that's not because to say, Oh, I want to be before I have reached 40. No, it's just because I'm ready. I want to have a family now. And being the last five years being actively trying, you, you really realize that. (laughs) Right. Like it's, it's time. Come on. Yeah. It's time. Yep. So they basically said, well, your only two options are IVF with a donor egg or adoption. And I said, well, let's talk about this IVF with donor eggs. Um, I'm pretty intrigued with that. Let's find some more information out. And they basically said, yes, as long as you purchase donor eggs, you can get pregnant. You can experience pregnancy. Obviously, nothing's 100%. It never is. <laughs> so there's always that little worry in the back of my mind. But we, me and my husband, went back home and we really sat on it. And it was something that we chose to do. We wanted to do. Very cool. Okay. So basically for, for the listeners that have no idea what you're talking about, can you break this down? What, what does this mean? How do they form this baby? I mean, they would literally take an egg donor and Jeff's sperm and make a baby fertile in a Petri dish, right? Honestly, I don't know if it's in a Petri dish. I just say it because it's so easy to understand. Right. And, to describe to people. and it's a visual that people can actually, <laughs> they can understand. Yeah. Yes, they can. In a scientific sense, they're literally going to be putting your baby together in yes. a science lab and then putting it into your body. Now, yeah. What does your body need in order to have this be a successful procedure? So first things first was to purchase the donor eggs. And we used the wonderful egg bank, um, Fairfax Egg Bank. Um, They're based in California, I believe. Um, We really chose them for the main reason as if we're unsuccessful with the donor eggs that we purchased and that has nothing to do with our side, then they will actually replace the eggs, the cohorts they're called and cohorts of six, I should say. And we can try again with no charge. So that's a wonderful thing to do. And for anyone, especially with the traumatic stress, financially, emotionally, physically, that it does take for IVF. It's pretty amazing to say that this company would do that for you. So we chose, which took actually a few months to decide. We finally were successful in selecting a cohort of six eggs. And that's actually how they do come. You really don't have a choice in numbers unless you want um, a random mix, I should say, or easy way to say it. So after that point, um, we start, I start um, my IVF shots. And I just started that on Sunday. Yes. The 21st. Um, yes. March? Now, no, January, February 21st. That's right. February 21st. Now, right before we go there, can you talk about 
the egg bank. Just talk a little bit about what the website looks like. Kind of, I remember you telling me it kind of felt like Facebook or MySpace or like a dating app. Can you just literally describe to people if they have their eyes closed right now what it looks like um, and and what you and Jeff talked about as you went through these hundreds of profiles? What were you looking for? What did you want? And then what did you end up going with? So truthfully, the best way to describe an egg bank is while you're looking online, it's a dating profile. You first start an account like a dating profile. You say what your interests are, what you're looking for, and and it kind of gives you a list of people who resemble that. For me and my husband, it really was health. Um, we didn't want because we can choose, you really want to have the best for your child. And why not start with no background of anything that can be inherited down? Right. So health was a lot of sense. Yeah. Health was the number one thing for us. Um, So we actually put a lot of health um, criteria in our selection of what we were looking for. And then for me, as much as I don't want to admit it, I did want some height to the child. I didn't put it in, but I still looked for it. <laughs> I yeah. did want someone brunette or darker hair um, or just hazel eyes. Anything little that was just that added bonus drew me to that person that much more. So, yeah, yeah but it was absolutely dating profile. You put hearts to people you um, were interested in. And the best thing I think about especially Fairfax um, Egg Bank, was that it was baby photos of these women. So you did not see grown-up versions of them until you signed a contract stating you would not try to search for this woman. Oh. For obvious reasons, right? Yes. The world of social media. All the social media, it's just so much easier. You can put a photo in Google search, a photo, and they can show you exactly where they live. Yeah. And, and rightfully so. You know, these people are really amazing women um, doing some amazing things for other women. And I was like, oh, yeah, no problem. I'll sign that. But I also didn't want to see the adult photo until we chose the person. And... um we we made that a point, really. Um, so we wanted to challenge ourselves to really not choose by looks. Yeah, yeah. So so you didn't you didn't want to choose by looks, but you also wanted to see some similarity some some similarities of you being tall, having the long hair, having the lighter colored eyes. Um, and I remember you talking too. There were some really amazing. Um, multilingual ladies on here some from russia or italy like well she was bilingual five languages um she was the second she was the runner-up unfortunately like just in case we weren't in time to buy the cohort of the first eggs of our main choice we definitely had a backup and we had two more backups behind her but yeah the profiles were were very generic it was height ethnicity color of hair, eyes, and the baby photo. And then whatever interested you more, you'd click onto them and then have a whole profile, including history from mom and dad 
their mom and dad and their mom and dad and the siblings that they would have. So it was really in depth. And while I was talking to the Fairfax egg bank lady, she actually said, it's just, you might look at it and think that everyone can donate eggs, but in all reality, the women they choose, they want the best for the people that these eggs are going to. And so it makes it really hard for these women to actually donate. And then on top of that, the donated eggs, um, the women donating have to go through that whole IVF process also. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. I think it's pretty amazing that these women are, you know, willingly giving up their DNA so that other families can have a child how they want you know, as naturally as possible. So I think that's pretty cool. Okay. So how did you pick your final woman? (laughs) So it was actually, um, I feel like it was fate for us who we ended up with. Um, it was really kind of an amazing story. Um, I guess in my view and my husband's view, but we went downstairs to finalize out of the five we had. And we just said, we have to do this. You know, just, just pull the bandaid off. Let's choose, let's choose a woman. And as we're going down there, we're talking and the website's loading and there's this cute little baby photo. That's like the third on the top. And I was like, Oh, she's cute. And Jeff's like, no, <laughs> she's not in our favorites right now. We can't add another person. Let's choose the five we have. And I'm like, Let's just save her. I, I like her. She, she, this little baby photo is just, it's, it's speaking to me. And he's like, Oh boy. So then we click her profile and, um, and it was just an, um, kind of a one thing after another for us. This is just again, the main profile. We haven't gotten to the health part yet. And as I'm reading, she's brunette, hazel eyes. She's five eight. You know, she has some good height to her, which, Honestly, it was just all bonus stuff at this point. And then I started reading her personal thing and she was an interior designer. She's an artist. She's crafty. And it was literally naming everything of my personality. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, Jeff, this is amazing. And he's like, (laughs) he's like, you're nuts. And I'm like, we have to keep looking. And he's like, okay. So as we're looking, he goes, you know, it's the health thing. She, She could not make it. So don't get too excited. So I was really trying not to uh, rev myself up, but I was pretty, pretty excited about this, this woman. Yeah. And when you say interests, she was like literally someone who loved to like do arts and crafts and like to be outside and all those things. Right. Even like comedy and like, right. Humor. And tell me a little bit more about what, what made you so excited. um, really caught my eye was, you know, she went to school for, and she was an interior designer. And if you remember, I went to school for interior designing too. Yes. A lot of the same characteristics as far as like personality goes, it was really hitting the nail on the head. Wow. And and I was just, I said, you know, just don't get your hopes up too much because truly the health is what matters the most. So as my husband's trying to talk me down from the excitement and the reality of, she might not work. <laughs> I was secretly getting more and more excited. <laughs> and, um, as we're going down, we're reading the list of every single thing she's a carrier for, which was only one thing. And what a carrier for is Jeff would have to also be a carrier for. 
And we really had a number of carrier traits we wanted to avoid, and she only had one. We kept going. No family has died of anything health-wise. One grandpa died from a car accident, but that is out of our hands. Yeah. Um, It's not a health death. And she just looked more and more perfect as we scrolled down. Wow. And I remember that moment where me and Jeff looked at each other and we both just smiled from ear to ear. (laughs) We were really giddy. And, and I said, did we just make our choice? And he goes, I don't know how. (laughs) Right. She wasn't even in the top five. Final five. And she just happened to be on the screen before we were logging into our profile to look at our final five favorite. That feels like fate, doesn't it? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And it really, it was all in my, I mean, I'm pointing to my chest, but it was all in my heart. Like I just knew it was really weird (laughs) to to say the least, but um, we walked away and we're like, this is our girl. So my husband said, okay, well, make sure we call Fairfax and let's pay for these eggs. And I said, okay. And this was the the weekend. We wanted to get it done before the weekday. And so Monday came along and I tried calling Fairfax and it was very difficult to get through. Apparently there's a surge because of COVID, believe it or not, of people purchasing cohorts. And again, when I say cohorts, it's the, the eggs, the six eggs. And I had left a voicemail, tried again Tuesday, left a voicemail and still no callback. And I was frantic at this point. I'm like, Jeff, she's going to be sold. She's, <laughs> she's going to be sold by the time we contact him. I've left. He goes, did you leave voicemails? I said, yes, they haven't contacted me back. And he's like, it'll be if it'll be OK. Just, you know, we have our backups. It's not a big deal. I'm like, oh, I know. But, you know, this is our girl. <laughs> he's like, I know, right. but it's it's OK. So. You know, if I remember, it was Thursday. I, yes, it was Thursday. Finally, I was like, you know what? I'm just going to call again. Hopefully, I get through. And lucky enough, I was able to get through. And as I talked to the person at Fairfax, she was telling me, oh, she's a really popular one. And I was like, oh, okay. You know, and I said, oh, do you know why? And she goes, because of the health. You know, you know, people really target the health, which is to me was pretty obvious. And I said, okay, what does this mean? She goes, well, she is in two or three. Do you remember what I told you? Was it two or three? Yeah, it was. I think she was in three carts. I do. I think you were right. Um, And when we say carts, we mean on hold for three different people. And I said, okay, what does that really mean? And she said, basically, that's when people are either getting tested to see if they're the same carrier or they're getting their finances in order. And she goes, the chances are she will be sold. And I said, and I was just devastated. And I said, you know what? Is there any way you can put me on a waiting list or a backup list? And she goes, in all reality, of course I can. But in all reality, please don't expect her to be available. And I said, I understand. Um, She goes, do you have another back? Do you have another favorite, another backup? And I said, I do. Yep. Here is the number. And, you know, I'm sorry, I should say, you know, the profile, the the names were numbers. Sure. So um, I told her that number of the profile and she's like, "Um, you know, I wish you luck. And I'm like, thank you so much. And we end the call. And 
I just couldn't take no for an answer. I just, there's just something in it that I just didn't feel, nope, I'm not giving up anytime soon on this. And, and I knew the reality was it was very unlikely that I would get her. Well, Friday came along and I actually had received a phone call from Fairfax and I called them back right away. And luckily I was off of work that day and she had said, you know, I, this is just weird how it happened. She was, she had just gotten a phone call or she was looking at my profile to call me back to talk to me about my second choice. And as she's looking at my profile, the woman who had my donor in her cart called to cancel. Yeah, that's nuts. With four other, and yes, I, I, when I say this, it sounds crazy, but this other woman who had my donor in, in her cart had five donors in hers. And she decided to purchase four other ones and not the fifth one, which was my donor. Wow. She had seen while she's talking on the phone with the woman who is now canceling my donor, she had seen I was really interested. And so she had said, thank you so much. She ended the call with the other woman and she called me instantly. And she said, you won't believe this. Aww. She said, I'll call you right away. As I'm talking to the woman who is, who is saying, I'm not going with this specific donor. I was looking at your profile and it just happened to work. And she's like, do you want to purchase? I said, yes. <laughs> yes. It's so wonderful. And it's such a, you know, I know sometimes as far as like faith is concerned. And I, I know, you know, I talk about spirituality and faith on my podcast a lot. And I know it's like maybe a little bit of an uncomfortable topic, you know, faith is, but do you, do you feel like this was like a divine, it sounds like it was just like a divine feeling in your gut. Like you couldn't explain it, but you were just like, she, she's it. And if I don't get her, I'm going to be really bummed. You know, I, I kind of explained um, gosh, and I cannot remember who I said it was, it was like love at first sight, even though, um, that child that I was looking at as the donor profile was not my child. It was, it was really, you know, I've heard the phrase God wink. I've heard the phrase, you know, fate, a coincidence, whatever you prefer to call it. It, for me, it was meant to be, and yeah. it just happened to work out every single challenge I hit came back and it worked in our favor. So, awesome. so you yeah, bought so, eggs. So we purchased a cohort of six eggs. Yes. Was that in like September or October? Remind me about when that was, it was like four months ago, right? Five months ago. It's in the February. It's got, it was November. It was okay. November. So it's been like three months. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, okay. So. so now what? So now you wanted to share some information about your shot schedule because now people are probably thinking like, okay, so the doctors are going to get some eggs out of this lady and Jeff is going to, you know, do his business and do a cup. <laughs> now what? Like, how do we prepare your body for carrying a baby? Because obviously Jeff cannot do that. So from Fairfax um, Egg Bank, they come frozen. And then um, it's all a time game, truly. It's like 
pretty much every day is scheduled for me for the next at least three months. Um, and that's even before getting pregnant. That's just the priming up of the situation. So I start taking um, medicine that is called Lupron. And it is a liquid. Um, it has to be injected by shot. And the shot size, um, it would be a insulin shot. If anyone's familiar with the size of an insulin shot, it's pretty small, um, tiny, tiny needle. And I have to inject that once a day for the next two to three weeks um, in my stomach. And you know this about me. I'm terrified of shots. Um, <laughs> it, it is like... It was Needles suck. Oh, yeah. yeah. And, I, and I, you know, when I first heard that I had to be um, injected, injecting shots to myself, really terrified me. In fact, that was like, if I'm backtracing a little bit, that was the day I was, you know, I had a horrible mock transfer, but we can get on that in another subject too. But I was scared. I was scared. I'm not a fan of needles. And my husband's like, this is what you got to do. Do you want to do it? We don't have to, but this is what you have to do in order to get to the next stage. And that is being pregnant. What is a mock transfer? A mock transfer is, is literally a practice run. Getting the eggs out or putting the eggs in? Putting the eggs in me. Yeah. And it was painful, right? It was brutal. That actually, I forgot about that, that stage two, before we started the shots, we needed this mock transfer. And the mock transfer was a vaginal ultrasound to check the lining of my uterus. And it was brutal for me. Uh, Why not add another (laughs) thing to me that I have a curved cervix, which makes it a little more uncomfortable. And that actually really broke me at that time. I remember crying and crying for a few days and just realizing like, if I can't handle this, how can I handle childbirth and, you know, really making myself feel guilty about this. But in all, and to find out that it was an unsuccessful mock transfer on top of that. And then the same day that horrible transfer happened, mock transfer happened to me. I was told that I have to do these shots every day for the next, and it it was just a bad day. Yeah. (laughs) Bad day. Yeah, because Uh, had your mock transfer gone well, they would have said, what, you don't need the shots, or maybe you would have only needed them two days, or... Really figuring that my um, whole next treatment steps would be, um, and to see how the transfer itself with the actual fertilized eggs would go. It's basically a dry run. Um, in yeah. a sense, say the best way to say it is, um, just to pra- practice dry run to see how things would go the day of the transfer. And when they tell you it's an unsuccessful transfer, it it was just devastating on top of it. Okay. So not to be a pervert, but like, do they have to literally stick their whole hand up your hoo-ha and curved cervix to like inject it or like, what did it feel? What did it, what did it feel like? What did it look like? Were there multiple doctors in the room? Was Jeff with you? They didn't put you under, right? Like you just had to be spread open and accessed and that was very painful or, or am I misspeaking? Was it not painful? No, it was painful. Not, not the spreading of things. No, it was the fact that I have a curved cervix really challenged the doctors on getting to my uterus 
And they had to scrape also to test. Like with a tool. Yep, with a tool to test for, um, you know, HIV and, you know, all the steps you need to do. Cancer, yeah, whatever. It was basically a biopsy. Yep, yeah, exactly, because they want to make sure. So it wasn't even that. It was they had to take the tube, the tube that would be used for the transfer of the fertilized eggs, and they'd have to find a route, the best route, best way to say it, um, to my uterus. And in taking that tube, there's, it's not a soft end. It's an exposed tube, um, the best way I can explain it. And having the curved cervix was a challenge for the doctor who was doing the procedure and um, realized that I would have to be, in order to have a successful transfer, I would have to be knocked out the best terms. And I have since made, since then made it very known to every doctor I see, which is a different doctor every time I'm there, um, that you are knocking my ass out. <laughs> yeah. Well, good. So now that's not something you'll have to be awake for. So that's good. And you don't have to be awake to make it more successful, right? Like that. No, absolutely not. In fact, it would be stressful on the eggs if I was. Uh, because my body would be stressful. So they were like, absolutely, let's do it this way because um, we want the success for you. That's that's what the, that's how you know, like, I mean, it's a great system they have there, but I know they want the success rate. You know what I mean? So they yeah. want to do anything power to help me become pregnant. Okay, well, okay, so that's good news that you're going to be able to be put under. So you keep running into these um, dead ends where it's like, oh, I'm one doctor tells me I can't have a baby and then I can't get the eggs I want. And then and then so it's like you keep hitting these like rocks in the river when you're floating down your canoe with Jeff. And thank God the current was strong enough and it just sort of pushed you around. And gosh, if that isn't a lesson on resiliency, I don't know what is, because now you're going to be injected with Lupron. Lupron. And, I, and it's just a clear fluid with the small syringe in my stomach for two to three weeks. And the reason I say two to three weeks is because in the two week mark line, I have a vaginal ultrasound that will then check to see the thickness and the lining of my uterus. And that depends on do I continue the Lupron for the next week? Or do I start then the second medication? And that second medication is progesterone in oil. And they explained it to me as sesame seed oil. And basically going to the grocery store, buying sesame seed oil off the shelf, that is the thickness of this uh, medicine. Yes, shot. And as they're giving me and my husband instructions, mostly my husband because he's the one who is injecting me. Lucky, lucky me is that um, it's a bigger shot and it also has to be put into my deep muscles. Oh, and yeah. Yes. Lupron for the two weeks and the ultrasound will depend on if I start the progesterone next or keep on the route for another week for the Lupron. Okay. So what does this mean for you? Tell me about your first day because you just started your shots. Sunday and I told Anne she called me yesterday and the day before and I said Anne don't tell me anything about your experience because I want to hear it for the first time on the podcast so 
tell us about how that went and how you were feeling and how you're doing today. So the days lining up to Sunday, which was just three days ago, was nerve wracking because again, I hate shots and that's, it. it's just what it is. But knowing this is what you have to do to become a, I have to do to become a mother. It's, you know, it's that much easier to do, but we have to have it the same time every day, essentially like birth control. And we had, me and my husband had to sit down and figure out a schedule that worked best for him and I, I have random times of the day that I work and he has a set schedule. So (laughs) deciding that 8.30 is going to be the time every night to 9 because you could have at least an hour gap in between the everyday time. And so we were, I was, I was anxious, excited, nervous, scared, happy. I mean, it was everything. I remember <laughs> I should have taken a photo and I'm just so mad I didn't. But I was sitting there wipe, wiping alcohol on my stomach, getting ready and prepared. And, and my husband's like, are you going to do it? I'm like, oh, God, no. I mean, he was just joking because we had already talked about it. And I'm looking at him washing his hands and he just has this smile. <laughs> so cute. And I'm, and I just look at him and I'm smiling at him. He, go, he goes, what? As he's giddy. And I'm like, so are you, are you excited? He's like, well, it's, you know, official. Today's the day. It starts. It's not just an idea anymore. It's a reality. And I'm like, I know it's, <laughs> it's pretty crazy. And, um, and he's like, are you ready? I'm like, just do it. And, you know, I, I'm like, don't tell me. I, I, Cause I was so scared. I was blabbering just. Poor, poor Jeff, because <laughs> to me, tell him how to do something he's going to do regardless. And I was like nonstop talking. And I'm like, you should do this. Oh, how about you do this? Are you sure you want to do this? And I just didn't shut up. And he's like, okay. And I'm like, oh, crap. Okay. I didn't even feel it. He's like, I had been done for a while, but you just wanted to talk. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, sorry. That's hey. my nervous there. Yes, it is. And I feel like I could tell we've been friends since the ninth grade because that's exactly how I am when I'm anxious. I just don't shut up. Yeah. Or just like the blabber queens. Okay. So he stuck it in your stomach and it didn't, it like, it literally didn't even hurt. So I didn't even feel the, so the medicine going in. Usually, you know, like a flu shot, you can kind of feel it disperse, I guess is the best oh, way to say yeah. it. Yeah. No, I, didn't feel the needle. I didn't feel the, the medicine, nothing. But within, you know, about 10 seconds, I could feel like, how did, how did I say it to my mom? Um, it did not sting by any means, but I could feel it. And my stomach was a little red around, but honestly it was, oh, it's uncomfortable. I said, it didn't sting. It wasn't irritating. It was just uncomfortable. And that was totally tolerable. And you kind of sit there and realize, like, this is what you were scared for. But it's not even really the shot that I'm scared for. It's that damn progesterone and oil. Yeah. (laughs) Well, if I can make you if I can make you feel any better, it's like, gosh, Anne, you were so nervous for this shot, Lupron, and it and it went well. And so just keep thinking positive things. And I'm so hopeful for you. And I'm so excited. Thank you. Yeah, I'm pretty excited to start the journey. You know, we're still very fresh into it. Um, and right now Mayo Clinic has our eggs on standby and 
Um, we'll talk obviously more about the next steps and schedules, but yes, yeah, we will. Okay. So I wanted to ask you too, um, you don't have to share where you work unless you want to, but your work actually has a pretty good health insurance program where they will cover part of this. Can you talk a little bit about, um, money regarding it? Because I know it's super expensive if you were to just do it completely out of pocket. Just for people listening, what did that look like for you? Was it hard to navigate money around this? So as we knew we were hitting challenges, we were saving money regardless as far as challenges in infertility. So we had been saving for a while. Um, it is not cheap by any means. Um, and I have been so fortunate to work for a company that offers amazing benefits. And when I say amazing, the reality of insurances that cover IVF are just non-existent. I think there's only like two or three companies out there that do. And I work for, I work, I have one. And it was just the deciding factor for us to continue in this journey of IVF and donor eggs because we didn't know if we could afford it. You know, anything outside of giving birth yourself to your own with your own eggs is you know very expensive but when you're talking about infertility it adds a whole nother level of expenses yeah the storage of the frozen eggs the donating of the of the eggs um or the purchasing just to have an idea for people out there because it's i mean just to educate people six eggs for anyone cost 16 grand and that's just baseline. Right. That's not even your appointments. That's not the medicine. That's, that's just not, for the eggs. Uh, yeah, exactly. That's not even just the storage of the eggs from the company you just bought it for. Wow. That's storage of the eggs from the state or the hospital that you're now transferring them to. In all reality, all together, just for the egg part, just for the purchase of the donated eggs came about to $18,000. Wow. Um, that is out of pocket. Insurance does not cover the purchase of eggs. They only cover IVF. And to say that's amazing is still something in and of itself because the IVF process probably costs as much as a brand new car. Right. And to say that a lot of insurances don't pay for it because it is, I'm air quoting, a choice to get pregnant. They just don't purchase, they don't, they just won't help you. But my insurance company does. And thank we're very goodness. lucky. Yeah. yeah we're thank God. Lucky. So IVF, you have a less success rate getting pregnant using your own eggs. And I have a higher success rate using donated eggs. And so do you know why that is? Is there a reason why that is? Or we don't know necessarily why? Honestly, I'm sure there's some science behind it, but no, honestly, because when I first heard about it, that's when I had my bad mock transfer. So I just don't remember all the facts, unfortunately. But yeah. Yeah, because that was traumatic. Wow. Yeah, I can only imagine, like, especially the science is out there, right? And and you and Jeff would make amazing parents. And I want I want this for you. So I'm just so happy that it's looking up for you now. How many kids do you guys want? Let's say you get pregnant right away and it works really well and everything goes well. How many more times will you do this? So for me, it's going to be the same procedure every time I choose to have a kid. Um, we did talk about it 
um, you know, the chances are 50-50 that we get pregnant with the first egg. So the difference between IVF of someone using their own eggs is that they are going through the step process that the donors have already done. They have already ex- extracted. Thank you. Yes. Um, they've already extracted the, he- the healthy eggs and they're at the stage where the IVF for someone using their own eggs would have to wait to get to. So I'm already at a higher percentage of getting pregnant just because of that. So that's very exciting. Um, and it's a less, oh, it is a very less number of miscarriage. Um, and I can't tell you the math behind that. They explained it to me, but it was very. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't have been able to remember that either. It's well, like that was really also good news. Yeah. Um, one less thing to kind of worry about. But yeah, I feel like I got off track. No, you didn't. You're fine. You're you're just fine. Oh, because I asked you how many kids you wanted. Did you say? Yeah. So yeah, that's okay. So two is what we're hoping for out of the six eggs we've purchased. Again, oh, that's why I got off course is because oh um, because you might get pregnant on like say the second egg and then you would have four more frozen how long can those be frozen for for a few years actually after realized so wow yep that's amazing wait after it's fertilized yes is that what you said so jeff's sperm will be in this egg and then they'll be able to just freeze that and you'll be able to technically have six chances then. Yes. Wow. Yep. And percentage on how many chances it'll take for me. It might take all six the first time. And it might take all of them and I still don't get pregnant. Right. Um, I, we've already talked about this at this point. At that point, it would just be something we would have to say, okay, let's sit on this a little longer and see if this is really the route we're going to take. So um, there's always that chance. That um, was my que- that was literally my yeah. next question. What if you don't get pregnant? Yeah. You know, it's a reality. I uh, this time around, I have spent the last 5 years doubting and putting a lot of what ifs out there, and at this stage in my life of starting this process, there's not one what if. Good. It is all positive vibes, positive energy. Yes. <laughs> Anything I can do to say I'm getting pregnant. Oh, when I get pregnant. Oh, it's going to happen. You know, there's not a what if. It's going to happen. I love it. um, I have a friend who says, from my lips to God's ears, she just assumes that he's listening. And you have to do the same, that you're putting that positive energy out into the universe and you will get that positive energy back. And and you're doing a cleanse. You you just started an herbal cleanse and you're on vitamins and you're trying to be healthy and you're in a healthy relationship. And so you are absolutely setting yourself up for success. And you know what? All your friends and family, I, your mom, Jeff, we're all going to love you just the same, even if it doesn't work out. So now what if you do get pregnant? That's my next question because that's way more fun. What if you're yeah. pregnant in a month? What if you have yeah. a baby in a year? I know. And that's where I'm at. Like it's, we're, we're already planning for that. We're already, it's going to be pretty exciting. I keep saying to like you and other people I talk to and just, Oh, you know, I'm, I'm in a wedding um, in September. And um, I said, Oh, I'm going to be a pregnant, pregnant bridesmaid. And she's just laughing. She's like, I didn't even think of that. And I'm like, I'll be the sober cab for everything. Right. <laughs> just, 
just putting that expectation out there and um just the reality of it is just kind of crazy by this time next year i'll have a baby i keep saying that we're just excited for it yeah yeah you've you've thought so long and hard about this i mean it has been years since you knew you wanted a kid i mean even like you said you were living your life when you got married and even when you guys were still dating and engaged and trying to enjoy your life as two young people. And I think that's really mature of you too, because you know, Anne, a lot of people would get pregnant before they got married or they would get pregnant immediately after getting married. And so when we talk about family planning, you and Jeff have certainly done that. So I'm so excited to hear how the next couple months go and we can update the listeners then. And we just expect the best. And, and if it doesn't work out, we're going to be right along there with you. I used to say all the time, you know, while we were acknowledging the fact we weren't ready to be parents at that time, I always used to say that I'm selfish. I like my TV time. I like my sleep. I like eating and leaving when I can, not having to worry about someone else. And it was so easy for me to say that. And it truly was. And I just laugh at that now because like, I'm ready to give up all my TV time. I'm ready to give up all my sleep. I'm ready to do this next step. And I think, you know, we've been very fortunate in realizing that we weren't ready and how much courage it actually took us to realize, no, we're, we're not ready. We don't want to have kids right now. We like our independence. And Jeff keeps saying like little things like, oh, you realize going to the camper is going to be a lot more difficult. I'm like, yeah, you, can you imagine the crap we're going to have to take with us? Oh, yeah, I know. You're going to have to make like a baby suite. Yeah, but like before this, before realizing we were wanted to be parents, we were like, God, no, screw that. <laughs> no, we don't want to bring more stuff. I remember Jeff's sister had a toddler and an infant. And me and Jeff were just, you know, we were blind to the situation and very immature. We would say like, oh my gosh, how much crap do you need, Crystal? And in all reality, like she was probably being very generous in what she brought because she had two, she has a toddler. She had at that time a toddler and an infant, but it's, you know, things you're realizing now getting prepped and ready. And you're like, God, you were stupid then. Right. <laughs> like no so kidding. Someone else. <laughs> yeah. It's like, no kidding. You needed, she needed all that stuff. Oh gosh, absolutely. Yeah. It's just, it's just funny to me. You kind of just hit that realization. Yeah. So how has it been received with your friends, with Jeff's friends and family, your family? How has this whole infertility journey gone? So, you know, the first time finding out I was infertile, and that's exactly what they said, was embarrassment mainly. I didn't want to tell a lot of people because um, I felt less than. Um, and I, I'm the one who put that in my head. No one else did just to clear that for sure, because I don't want anyone to think that they made me feel like that. No, that was just me. Um, to being very perceptive and listening and very um, caring, you know, a lot of, a lot of people would say, Oh, are you sure you want to have a kid? You know, simple comments as like that comments such as that to, Oh, you're not, you're not going to, you know, just kind of putting down the idea. And of course they were never being malicious in that aspect, but 
they just don't realize, well, at this point, you know, I'm, uh, I have to know that I want a kid <laughs> because it's not just emotionally, not just physically, but it's financially so much. So I have to know 100% that this is what I want. I think it's really good for people to just have the perspective on people out there and how many people have fertility issues. And it's funny because it's such an uncommon thing talked about. And that's why I really wanted to share my story because I had said earlier this year, in Jan early January, I just had made a comment about me being infertile. And since then, I've had three separate people come to me saying that they're having the same issues. And it was just kind of eye-opening, realizing like, why are we so afraid to talk about this? And why do we feel embarrassed or whatever they may be feeling um, to have the subject out there? A lot of people are very, oh, this is very private and and that's okay for them. If that's the journey for them, that's the journey for them. But I really wanted to get out there of how many people have infertility issues, whether it's miscarriages, whether it's um, not being able to carry their own child, whether they're just not ready to have families and just the pressure we put on ourselves as women to have that as a next step. I think we just yeah. have to shape that image out of our yeah. head. And for me, I'm going to be a mother one way or another. Whatever that story is for me is going to be my story. And that's also not to say that women who have it easy and can just say, oh, I want to be off birth control and have a kid. There's That's absolutely wonderful. But we also have to acknowledge the people who way more than you could even imagine have issues that it's okay for their journey too. 100% and I think that's really knowledgeable of you to realize and I think too you know the older we're getting it's like yeah we're in our 30s and there comes a time where you realize like my parents aren't going to be around forever and I'm not going to be young and able to do everything I can do now in 20 30 40 years so I think you're so right even when we think about depression or anxiety in our 30s it's like if you can't have a family, that's really such an isolated loss for so many people. Yeah, absolutely. But no one's alone, like you're saying. So that's pretty amazing. Now, again, we talk a lot about resiliency on the podcast. How would you define resiliency? What has life taught you, Anne, during this journey to become pregnant? Um, that if you want it, enough that it'll happen but you also have to be open to the idea that it might not happen in the simple sense or the black and white sense that it would lead to the end result I guess life's not black and white there's challenges there's twists and turns there's bumps in the road constantly everyone's experience is different and that's a beautiful thing but you also have to know that it's not going to be easy it's not always going to be easy, but also when it's not, it's, it's okay. I'm not less than because I can't have a child of my own and I don't ever want to have anyone feel that they would be what's one person's journey is not someone else's. I saw this sticker someone posted on the fertility and uh, infertility site, uh, 
group that I follow on Facebook and it had, it was in front of an aisle of pregnancy tests. And all it said was, this line does not define you. Basically, a pregnancy test does not define you. And there, that could be taken in so many ways. It really could. It could say, oh, someone who doesn't want to have a kid, this doesn't define you. You don't have to have a kid to be a full woman, to be the best you. Um, but for me, it really just said, if this isn't how it's going to happen, that's okay. It doesn't define you. Amazing. Now, how would you define resiliency? Do you have anything else you want to add about people going through a difficult time and what you've learned about remaining hopeful and carrying on even in the toughest of times? How have you pushed through? For me, I have made it a real thing to look at the positives. Like we were talking about earlier, um, about just putting the vibe that it's going to happen, putting a picture in your head. Yeah, I guess that's how I would define it. Yeah, it's like one of the biggest ways we can really hope for something is believing it, right? And and knowing that it's already here, just like you're saying, you're not worthless. Yeah, yeah. you're not worthless. You do matter. You always will matter. Is there anything else on your heart or mind that you want to share? No. I'm maybe next episode I will, but in all honesty, it's just, I'm in that bubble right now of happiness of starting this new journey and officially starting it. So yeah, I mean, the reality is real. It's started. So it's pretty exciting. <laughs> yeah. Well, and thank you for coming on the podcast. Thank you for sharing your story. I will be sure to include the Fairfax Egg Bank and some other options for people along with infertility resources so that they can check that out. And also we just wanted to say too, that if you are a young person who cannot afford a pregnancy test or need resources, check with your local churches, check with your local planned parenthood because they are very helpful, right? Are there any other resources you want to share? I mean, Mayo Clinic is incredible. Yeah, they really are. We've been very happy with everything they've done for us and to know the motivation behind of on their part, excited to get us pregnant. I mean, even the nurses are saying, let's get you pregnant. Let's do this. We're going to do this. So like, it's what you need. Yeah. I mean, Mayo Clinic would definitely be a huge thing to um, link to for specialty infertility issues. And also just one last thing is, you know, if you don't trust the first doctor. My mom, my mom always says, get a second opinion. And that's really what I should have done earlier on. Instead of just taking two people's advice to saying, oh, you're young and healthy. That's just, if I knew that something was wrong, I should have just really challenged the doctors and really advocated for myself more. Cause I really don't think I did at the beginning of the journey. And I think I wasted a lot of time, frankly, um, just expecting that to be the truth. Yes, I would second that too for people listening that if they have any pit in their stomach that is just pushing them in a different direction than what their doctors told them, 100% agree with Anne. Get a second opinion. At, at the very least, if you can road trip to Minnesota, come here because Minnesota is awesome there. Mayo Clinic is incredible. It's one complaint I have about the doctors out here. A lot of them are great. A lot of them aren't great. And a lot of them just don't know my story and everything I've been through. 
And I'm just so hopeful for you. And I'm so happy you're so positive. And again, thank you for sharing your story. Yes, thank you for having me this time. And I look forward to chatting you and filling you guys in with my journey and hopefully a fantastic outcome. (laughs) You know, originally when you asked me to define the word resilience, in my words, I was kind of struggling with the details of what that meant with me. And afterwards, I spoke to my mom and my mom had honestly the best words, I think, that really truly meant how I felt. And that was what resilience means to me is finding out originally that I was infertile and I couldn't have children, but I continued the journey knowing how difficult it would be and that it might not be successful, but knowing that that's what I want to do. Yes. And you're going to put that energy out there that whatever is meant to be will be. And family planning for a whole life, those are not small potatoes. No, (laughs) they really aren't, are they? (laughs) To see photos from Anne's episode, please visit www.pushdiariespodcast.com forward slash episodes forward slash IVF life with Anne. Please be sure to follow Push Diaries Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. Thank you to all of my Patreon subscribers who continue to sustain this show. If you have time, please head to iTunes and leave a review under Push Diaries Podcast. I've been seeing all of your comments and reviews, and I'm so grateful. I can't wait to bring you more content and share more about my story, too. I hope you continue to stay resilient. And my prayer is that you'll find peace in whatever situation you're in now while never losing hope at a brighter future. Thank you for being here. Thank you for listening. And most of all, thank you for pushing forward. See you next time. Bye. This has been Push Diaries Podcast. Please visit our website at pushdiariespodcast.com to see our mission and learn more about the guests. This is your podcast too. I want to hear your stories. Email me at pushdiariespodcast at gmail.com and consider supporting the show by going to patreon.com forward slash pushdiariespodcast. Thank you for listening. Hey there. If you are a sponsor or would like to run a commercial, and think that my message and my podcast would be beneficial for your business, please consider contacting me. I would be honored to work with you. We have the ability to put commercials into these episodes. Thank you for your consideration. I'm a born Minnesotan, now Michigan girl whose life was thrown into an ineffable state of uncertainty in 2014. I was 24 years old and diagnosed with a rare deadly tumor. Superhuman doctors at the Mayo Clinic of Rochester, Minnesota saved my life by cutting me in half then putting me back together again with my leg bone. We decided to put me in a cauldron full of chemotherapy drugs for nearly a year in hopes of killing the mutated cells while my incisions in my skin from three days of surgery took seven months to heal it was so tough, but I'm so glad I'm here with you all on the other side. My fiance Tyler and I have started creating bonus content for our Patreon supporters. Patreon gives creators the tools needed to acquire, manage, and energize their paying patrons. 
Having to ask people for money is difficult, and your support of this show is greatly appreciated. Thank you for sharing in my dream, and be sure to check out the bonus content online at patreon.com forward slash push diaries podcast. Bye.